Um, I am excited about this. I want to talk to you about a promise um, and, and something that, that God has promised to us. And we're going to unpack two of those this week and next week, but promises that God has given to us. But I, I came across something I wanted to share with you before I even get into my message, uh, something that I came across in my own devotions this morning that just really hit me, especially as I was thinking about this message and, and what God wanted to share. But it's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, and this is what it says. You know that God paid a ransom to save you. We all know that, right? God paid a ransom to save you. But there's another part here. It says what it saves you from. Okay, I don't want to read this to you. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. God paid a price so, so that you could have life and that you wouldn't have to just inherit that empty life that was passed down from your ancestors. And, and there's a number of ways of looking at that. Maybe you didn't grow up in a, in a family that went to church that, and you didn't have an, any idea of God in your life. There's an emptiness in that kind of living. And, and God says, you're not gonna inherit that. I've given you something special. Maybe even, and this happens all around us, even within the church Maybe you grew up churched or you grew up in a way that was maybe a bit more religious. Uh, God says, I didn't, I didn't send my son Jesus to give you religion. I didn't send him to give you some kind of empty understanding. I gave you life. I, I, I gave you a promise. And I want to unpack that promise this morning because here's the reality. For a lot of us, uh, it's been kind of kept a secret over time. So in a second, I'm going to reveal a secret to you. How many of you would like to know a secret? Here's what I want to tell you. Uh, I, I've, I've had the privilege of living in a few small towns. How many of you know that when there's a secret? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. My last church, we had uh, the singer Carmen. You guys remember Carmen? Yep, he was coming into our church and they're like, how do we advertise this? I said, let's keep it a secret. That way everybody will know right? So this secret here, I'm going to share a secret with you. And just as Jesus did in his time on the earth, he kept telling everybody, don't tell anyone because he too knew that nobody could keep it a secret. So I want, I'm going to tell you a secret, but I don't want you to tell anybody. Are you okay? Just keep this to yourself. So this is Colossians 1 verses 25 to 27. Paul is speaking to the Colossian church and he says this, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming the entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glories of Christ are for you Gentiles too. He's saying basically it's for everyone. And this is the secret. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. Christ lives lives in you. This is the big secret, right? Christ lives inside of you. Jesus himself lives inside of you. And, and I want to tackle this really quickly here. This is not a metaphor. This is not, it's as though Christ himself lived inside of you. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say you'll be saved in a way that it begins to seem like Jesus is inside of you. This is the promise that he's giving in this moment. When you accept Jesus into your life, he himself comes and lives in you. I know three of you are happy about that. That is great. We should be overjoyed. By this reality, Jesus lives in me, 
right? And, and, and really, we need to unpack a little bit, okay? So what does that mean? Christ lives in me. What, what in the world does that mean? Because we're going to struggle with this on some levels, right? Well, maybe he lives in some people, but does he really live in me? Uh, maybe he lives in you, preacher, because you're a pastor, and of course God lives in pastors, right? No, God says he lives in every single person. So I want to just go through this really quickly. What does this mean? In First of all, in Romans 8.10, it tells us that you are eternal. Here's what it says. Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Aren't you grateful that even when this earthly body is done, we still have eternity to live with Jesus in heaven, right? We are eternal. Number two, it's not partial, 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 6, and 7 says, For God, who, it was God who said, Let there be light in the darkness. He made this light to shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Listen, when Jesus came inside of you, he didn't do so partially. Okay, he didn't say, well, this is the first time you're saying this prayer of salvation, so you get 15%, right? He didn't say, well, you came from a Christian family, so you get 60%. You get the friends and family discount, okay? You get seven, no, he said, I gave all of myself to you. I put every ounce of who I am inside of you. Now, we'll, we'll talk about that just a little bit more in a second. Number three, I am Jesus' testimony. Galatians 1, 15 and 16 says, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles, to the world. God says, I put myself inside of you to make you an agency for sharing that with the rest of the world. I called you, I chose you. Number four, my former life is gone. Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this earthly body, in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Your former life is gone. You're not the person that you used to be because Jesus is inside of you now, right? The work is not yet finished, and this is part of that not getting a partial, but there is a partial work, right? Galatians 4.19 says, My dear children, I feel as though I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. God says, I want him to be fully developed in you. So here's the idea. God gives all of himself to you at one time when he comes into your heart, but here's the reality. It's a progressive work on every single one of us. Aren't you grateful that God's still working on you? Aren't you glad you're not done? Like, a lot of us would be in trouble, okay? And I'm not pointing fingers. I'm looking at the guy in the mirror. I'd be in a little bit of trouble if it wasn't for the fact that God's still working on my heart. Then it says, this is a deposit for eternity, as we just read in Colossians 127. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory, being together with him in heaven. And lastly, my life is for God's glory. Second Thessalonians 1.10, when he comes on the day when he returns, he, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and that includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. All of this has meaning. You are eternal. God has a plan for you. 
He put his spirit inside of you. It's still working in your heart and in your life. You are, you're going to live with God in eternity someday because of Jesus inside of you. You're still being worked on. God has a testimony that he's sharing with the rest of the world through you. All of these things are so important for us. We have to understand that God isn't done with us yet, but this spirit that he gave to us is real, active, and powerful. How many of you believe that Jesus' spirit is life-changing? Right? When he puts himself inside of you, it should change you. So this is what we see then in 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. We can be sure that if we know Jesus, that we know Jesus, if, can you say if? Man, what a big word. We can be sure we know Jesus if we obey his commandments. But if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Jesus puts himself inside of you, and then he says this, I want you to live as I have lived. Sounds easy, right? Isn't it easy to be just like Jesus? You ever question if there are things that would have tempted Jesus that you struggle with? Like, I'm going to be honest, Jesus never had to drive the Schoogle Expressway outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Would he have remained sinless if he'd had to do so? Number two, Jesus didn't have to raise teenagers. Would he have remained sinless if he'd had to remain? Yeah, he probably would have, but these are my struggles, right? Jesus puts himself inside of you and then says, you need to be like me. In fact, Jesus challenged all of his followers by saying, be perfect, be holy, even as I am perfect and holy. But I'm going to help you. I'm not leaving you to do this on your own. In fact, I'm going to impart myself into you so that you're able to do this not by your strength, but by my strength. But here's the thing. The idea of of God inside of me, Christ in me, should be evidenced in me. There should be evidence that Jesus is inside of me, that he's working in me, that he's working through me. They should be able to put my life on trial, right? And there should be witnesses. There should be evidence of people who could come forward and say, yes, Jesus is working inside of him. The same is true of you. There should be evidence in your life that people could say, Jesus is at work inside of that person because of this. I see this. I see their countenance. I see their love. I see their mercy. All of these things because this is what Jesus called us to be. And he says this, I didn't fill you with the empty life of your ancestors. I filled you with my son, Jesus. I gave you, and I don't know how how many of you in here play video games. The only way I can really and truly enjoy a video game is if I have the cheat codes. The cheat codes are like you get infinite money, infinite life, like whatever it is. You get everything so that you can do really good at the game. Like Jesus is the cheat code for living a Christian life. He puts himself inside of you and he says, let me do a transformative work in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in everything about you to make you more like me. And if I do that, then living for me, living for my glory just becomes an extension of what I'm already doing in you. But church, there should be some evidence. I want to challenge you to think about that for a moment. What's the evidence? 
in your own life, in your own family, among your children, among your neighbors, among your coworkers, um, among all the, what would the evidence be? What would they point to in your life and say, they have absolutely been with Jesus. They're a follower of Jesus. Jesus is in their heart and is changing them daily. Would there be something you can point to? Because it's exactly what we read in 1 John. It says that there should be an evidence. And here's the scary part. If there's not, then Jesus really isn't working in us. He's not really inside of us. He's remaining a concept, an idea, maybe a lofty goal of something we'd like to become. But when Jesus is at work within us, it changes us. So the perfect work begins and we'll never sin again, right? How many of you lived a sinless life this week? Raise your hand. We would like to honor you. I'm not putting my hands up. Sorry, that was, that was wrong. No, here's the reality. None of us are sinless. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God? God's grace is so precious. I love the image, and I'm sorry if I've overshared this, but I just love the image of it. In the, in the Greek, the word sin is an archery term. It's, it's hamartia. It means like you drew back your bow and you shot and you missed. You just missed. Some of you have experienced that and it's not pleasant. But it says here's how the grace of God works. The target was Jesus, his perfection, his goodness, his faithfulness. And you aimed at that and you missed. But by God's grace, he comes and he pulls your arrow out that was way off and he throws it right back in and he says, here, by my grace, I make you sufficient. By my grace, I justify you so that you can be where I am. God's grace is so awesome. There's a secondary idea to this because Paul also challenged the church by saying, should we just go on sinning so that God's grace can abound? Should we accept lifestyles of sin? Should we accept things that we're just like, oh, well, this is the way I am. God is okay with it and everybody else will have to get over it, right? No, God says, I put myself inside of you to change you and make you different, to be more like me. And yes, there is grace for the moments in which you falter and fail, which we all do. But the reality is that God has called us out of that empty life that we inherited from our ancestors. He didn't call us to a life of sin. He didn't call us to a life of excuses. He didn't call us to be like, well, it was, you know, everybody else is kind of okay with this and, you know, whatever. People understand. People might get over it. God will forgive me. That's not the call that God has placed in our lives. He's called us to live as his son Jesus did and pursuing the same level of excellence with which he lived. When we don't, we ask for forgiveness, but there's another part of this, something we don't bring up a whole lot. Tell me if you've heard this word before. We repent. Have you ever heard the word repent before? Repentance? Let me define it for you super easily. Repentance is this. Separation from my sin and dedication to God. I separate myself from the sin of my past, the empty life that was handed down to me through my ancestors, and I dedicate myself to the reality of Jesus inside of me and the difference that it's going to make. Listen, yes, there are realities within your own family tree, maybe things that have been passed down through the generations, maybe drug addiction and alcoholism, uh, any kind of sexual perversity, uh, all kinds of things that come right down the line, right? But it's making this decision to say, no, I break ties with that. That's not going to be my identity. I identify with Christ. I'm set free through Christ. He lives inside of me. He gave me a promise that I don't have to remain the way that my family has been. I don't have to remain in sin. I can break it off and live for his glory but church there should be an evidence in us there's a challenge that comes to that 
work that Jesus wants to do in our hearts. And Jesus identified it as he was writing a letter to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. And I want to just read verses 17 and 20 for you. Because he looks at this church, his own church, right? And again, you know, we might look at this interpretively like, interpretively like he's just mad at a certain group of people. This is his people, right? And this is what he says in verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have everything that I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, you've, you've come to rely on yourselves. You've come to rely on your own provision. You've come to rely on the pleasures of this world and thinking that I've got everything I want, I'm good. You know, when I'm going through a bad time, then I'll call on Jesus, right? When things are tough, when I need help, when things are beyond me, then I'll call on Jesus. But he says, no, you've convinced yourself because of the opulence, because of the blessing in your life that you have everything you need and you no longer need me. And then he says this in verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You know, this verse, you probably heard this before, it gets used a lot in this idea of God knocking on the doors of the hearts of those who do not yet know Jesus. Knocking on the doors of the hearts of people who've not accepted Jesus in. But this is not what's happening here. He says, I'm talking to my church. I'm talking to my church right now. You've become a little full of yourselves. And you think you're you're okay. You've got everything you want and everything you need and you're comfortable. He says, but here I am. And really the picture is this. I'm standing on the outside of my own church, knocking on the door and saying, won't you let me back in? Won't you let me back in into relationship with you? And he says all of these things against them, right? But then look at the way that he frames this. He says, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You know, when we mess up, when we fall short, when we sin against God, don't we get a picture of God pounding on the door, right? Let me in! I know what you did! You can't hide from me! Right? But that's not Jesus' heart. He says, look, I'm standing at the door and if you'd, if you'd just let me in, I'm not coming in as your accuser. I'm not coming in to point a finger at you, to tell you I'm disappointed in you, that I'm mad at you, that I, I'm ashamed of you. No, what does he say? I just want to come in and sit down and fellowship with, with you like two friends. I just want to sit down with you like two friends. Yeah, you messed up. You, you fell short. You broke a covenant with me. You broke a covenant, whatever. It, I, I, but there's forgiveness, and I want to have this kind of connection with you. I want to I come to you as a friend because I love you. Church, there are often times that we convince ourselves that our need of God is diminished because things are good. It's a reality. Our greatest time and need for God is when things are tough. 
when times are tough, when things are bad, when we feel like life has gone beyond us, when it's too difficult, it's like, hey, I knew what, what I was doing, I knew where I was going, I kind of had my plan, everything was working, but now it's all falling apart and I just need Jesus. But Jesus speaks in his church in Laodicea and he says, listen, long before your world falls apart, you need me. Long before you think to yourselves, oh my goodness, I'm at the end of my rope and there's nothing else I can do. He says, here's the reality. You're sitting in your comforts. You're sitting in your lives. You think you've got everything, but you don't realize that without me, you are absolutely wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. You need relationship with me. Church, we don't realize how desperately we need him. But this promise that he gave us was that he would be inside of us. Not around us, not near us, not kind of close. He says, I want to be close to you like a brother, closer than a brother. I want to be a friend to you. I want to walk beside you, walk hand in hand with you. When you you falter and fail and fall short, I want to pick you up and dust you off and lead you back down a path of righteousness. Church, there's too many times that we get into the place where sin becomes a way of life. And then Jesus says, but I'm supposed to be inside of you. You know that you take Jesus with you everywhere that you go? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit? God says if you go somewhere, if you go into something to sin against God, you've taken Jesus with you to do it? You took me with you to do it. But I still love you enough to forgive you. I still love you enough. My grace is still sufficient to show you mercy. I made you a promise. The promise was built on Jesus' perfection and not ours. Thank you, Jesus. Right? It was built on His perfection and not ours. Because if it was up to us and our perfection, none of us would have any hope. Jesus says, here I am. Would you just open the door to me? Just open the door to me. Just let me come in. I just want to sit down and fellowship with you like a friend. I just want to break bread together. I just want to talk. I want to be here with you, beside you, and show you my love. Church, what an opportunity. What a gift to have a Savior who loves us that much. That's a promise worth holding on to. You pray with me. God, I'm so grateful to you for the moment in which I, in my own life, finally opened the door to you. You just kept being patient and knocking and waiting, watching my own path of destruction. And you came in just like a friend, just like you said you would. And I'm so grateful for that, God. And I just pray that you would speak confidently the love of a friend to those in here today or maybe those watching online. You're not a God who looks for the opportunity to accuse and rebuke and throw out your wrath and your anger. You detest sin. You can't have fellowship with it, God. But if we just turn from it, just turn away, break it off, dedicate ourselves to you that you come in like this incredible friend who just loves us unconditionally. God, you put yourself, your son 
inside of us. It's meant to change us and challenge us. And God, I pray that we would see a difference in ourselves. And if we don't, God, would you just challenge us right here in this moment that if there's no difference in us, if our neighbors and friends and family members and co-workers can't see a difference in us of you, then it really and truly indicates that you're not at work in our hearts. God, we need you. We need you. We want to return to the promise of your son Jesus. Return to the gift of a friend who loves us and who sticks closer than a brother, whose mercy and grace is sufficient. God, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. As we're in prayer this morning, maybe you're here and maybe you've been through a season of life where, hey, things have gotten off the tracks. I've let a couple bad decisions become a lifestyle or I've, I've let myself get sidetracked from where I should have been in, in connection and relationship with Jesus. I want Jesus to come back into my life and into my heart and to direct me once again, to give me that hope once again, to sit down next to me like a friend and just to love on me. If that's you, can I ask you to just slip up a hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Or maybe you're here and you've, just, you've never made that decision before. You have never, ever invited Jesus into your heart. It's like, I heard about that God thing. I've heard about church. I've been drugged to church many times. I've been in a number of services, but I've never really and truly for myself opened the door and let Jesus in. But I want to. I want to let him in. I want him inside of me. I want to live for his glory. If that's you, I want to ask you to slip up a hand. I want to pray for you as well. Thank you. Can I ask you to stand as, as we close together in prayer? Whether you raised a hand or not, I just want to lead you in a prayer right now. Give us the opportunity to make that dedication to the Lord. Separating ourselves from the past and the brokenness of our past and making a decision. God, I want to live for your glory. I want you inside of me every hour of every minute of every day. So will you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for knocking on the door of my heart. I want to let you in. I want to let you have your way in every area of my life. I want to live for you. And I want you to live in me. I want to be your testimony to the world around me. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. We, we thank you for your mercies to us. And God, I pray that you would remind us every day that living for you is not a prayer. It's not a one-time decision. It's a lifestyle. It's devoting ourselves to you day after day, night after night, decision after decision. And when we have messed up, it's coming back again and opening the door and saying, God, come back. Come in as a friend one more time. Dust me off. Set me on a path for your, your righteousness. For your name's sake. Lord, we, we need you. Let us see that, how desperately we truly need you, God. And to live as people who have Jesus living in us. We love you. We give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Jesus lives inside of you. 
Go out into the world and be his testimony. If you need prayer this morning, our prayer team will be up here. We'd love to meet with you. If you said that prayer for the first time, we'd love to connect with you uh, up at the front here, or you can text us to let us know. But Lord bless you. Have a great day.